Hey, would you guys turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 17? And, uh, and one thing to know, could, could you connect this for me? Because I don't want to mess it up. If you are a golfer, uh, our first golf tournament for the, for the mission is this week. And th- next week, it's June 6th. Um, I- I'm going to be the cart girl. Because I don't golf very well, but I can drive a golf cart. Somebody driving around handing out refreshing beverages. Um, but that's June 6th, and the money is going to raise for the, the, the mission itself. Um, in a church this small, the normal tendency would be that we would uh, try to grow the church, and then we would go and do mission, because we'd want to get the finances in order in the church and get a base to work from, and then we would go and do these things. We sort of did this backwards because we had this mission already in place that planted a church, if you will. And so we were able to get our finances in order before that on the mission, and the church, even though they're sort of separate 501c3 entities, it's really just two sides of the same coin. And so one of the things that you uh, may or may not know that we have done, and it's Acts 17 if I didn't say that, is this is uh, the most recent house that was completed. A year and a half ago in Haiti, there was a devastating earthquake. It's left a million people homeless. Uh, we have been active on the ground from the moment it happened. Um, uh, but a year and a half later, or a year and some change later, uh, this, this is, uh, you can't see her, but her name is Tita. And Tita has five children. She's no husband. And she has been living in a tent for a year and a half. And inside that tent, it's swelteringly hot during the day, uh, swelteringly hot at night, for that matter. Uh, and that's where they've been living the, uh, a year. As you can imagine, if you've been camping for a year, um, the tent is a little worn, a little ragged. Uh, we were able to, uh, they gave her the keys to her new home this week that was paid for from, uh, through Conduit Mission. Um, and so, so Tita and her children woke up in a, uh, in a house this morning that, that uh, if it rained, didn't rain on them. Um, their children uh, are all being uh, educated and fed as well through the project down there. Uh, and as of Friday, we sent uh, another $23,000 to Haiti. That will go for, I think, five houses. There's some houses that we had some of the funds raised for, some that was all of them. But all in all, that will cover uh, either the full cost or partial costs of five more houses that will be built uh, within the next month or two. So that's part of being the body of Christ is to help these folks who, and I mean literally have no help. There's no, and if, if you're poor in America, and I know, that, I mean, I grew up poor. Right? I, but we had services. And if you've been through those services, you know they're terrible. It's nothing more shameful or embarrassing than standing in line at the government to get cheese or whatever. That, that, but at least there's, there's a line to stand in. In a place like Haiti, there's just nothing. There's nothing for them. So this is our chance to be Jesus to them. And this is a woman who has given her life to Christ years ago and who literally just has no other explanation but that God loves her and has revealed his love to her through a home and through a place for her kids to, to sleep in uh, where the elements. So that's part of what Conduit does. We do that not only around the world, but in our own community. And we do it through our small groups as well. I mean, we're, we're launching a, a, our, our small groups over the last year, but the vision for that um, is that we can then ultimately mobilize quickly because our small groups will be able to say, uh, you know, 
Tony and, and Lynn's village, which is a, a new one that's launching. If you're new and you're looking for a place to plug in, maybe it's with, with Tony and Lynn. But to say that if we're going to uh, launch uh, some sort of an activity, like where we're going to get semis with stuff in it, that we'll do that through the villages. So you're building community, not only by getting together and sharing life together and living deeply at that level, but man, there's no deeper way to live than serving side by side in the trenches. There's a reason why a Marine, speaking of Memorial Day weekend, would want to be buried next to another Marine because they battled together, they warred together. And there's relationship that we can connect on a deep level in that way. And so, be, you know, prayerfully consider that. And um, Jeremy and Amber are here in the front row. Jeremy is our sort of concierge of the villages. Jeremy was the one that was leading worship a moment ago. If you're interested, come see Jeremy afterwards and he can help you plug you into that. Um, Acts chapter 17 it's an interesting week. You know, so often when you are doing, uh, going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, which we do, obviously we've taken the scenic route in that we started Acts uh, a year and three months ago. Um, but oftentimes, wherever, you know, wherever you are, there you are. <laughs> and obviously in the last couple of weeks, we had uh, a guy from... California, who decided that the rapture was going to happen, and he spent all those millions on billboards. And, and I, hey, I got good news. Uh, it actually, he was just wrong. Um, but it's going to be October 21st, so we have plenty of time to plan. <laughs> actually, the problem is, is you don't even have time to plan because they ask, well, aren't you? You have to get more billboards and re- remake all those billboards. But no, and here's why because what happened on May 21st, he said, is that the, the judgment began. Okay, but, but it's too late. So if you weren't in, you're not in. So he doesn't have to go send out any more billboards or any people to the subways uh, because it's over. So, you know, just, you know, strap yourself in and hope um, <laughs> that you're in. But the, the, here's the good news. The, the problem with something like that is it gets so kooky that, and I honestly think this is what the enemy means. It, he makes it so kooky that we start to cast out the reality of it, right? That this is really something that's going to happen. And Paul in Acts chapter 17, is in the city called Athens. And he has been preaching, and we've talked about that the last few weeks, the the power of the cross, because he gave this great, powerful, flowery sermon, tying in all this philosophical stuff and the cultural relevance, and it bombed. Like, it was like, you know, some of the altar calls I'd given as a youth pastor, like nobody, you know, crickets out there. Nobody really came to the Lord, and so, but they... The, uh, the people at the Areopagus, which was like the Oakland, maybe like the San Francisco, like a cultural center, had said, look, Paul, this stuff you're talking about, why don't you come up here and tell us a little bit more about this? You're talking about resurrection. You're talking about this crazy stuff. We want to hear more of this. So he's given the sermon, and now he's called in front of this council, the, uh, the liberals of the day, if you will, and he's, he says this to them in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. And he would have been standing in a city where they were surrounded by all kinds of gold idols and gods and things that they had created. He said, that's not what God is. We don't make God. God makes us. And he says, in the past, God overlooked such an ignorance. But now, you know what? My Bible's ripped in that page. Uh, Can I get verse 30 from you? (laughs) I got it right there. <laughs> Everywhere. Verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge, judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Would, would you pray with me as we go into God's word? God, we encounter your word with an open mind and an open heart. Not as an academic exercise, but as a spiritual submission to you. To, to listen and to hear that it might be a light to our feet. 
a lamp to our path that every one of us comes in with a, with a special need in our hearts and a, and a word that we need today. And I just ask that, that that word would be sown in each of our hearts and that the enemy would not come and steal it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I got to thinking about judge, judge, I know most people think of Judge Judy, Judge Wapner, but not me. I thought of my cousin Vinny. Okay. <laughs> Again, I know Judge Judy, but I just, I, I've never forgotten when Herman Munster and the Karate Kid came together in a movie <laughs> and a judge. It was actually 10 years ago that my, um, my company, uh, which was called Shikari, was uh, sued um, 11 years ago now. And, and I remember uh, we were sued by this multinational $100 million a year organization who I later would learn was this was part of their business model was suing their competition because they could tie us up in court. And, and, of course, the first time I'm in there, I'm like literally I want to curl up in a fetal position in my suit and, you know, depositions. And then I learned finally that, that the, the, the judge wasn't there to tell me what we did wrong, which actually wasn't. We actually were innocent in this charge. But what we had to do was go in and let the judge tell us not what was wrong, but what was the truth. Now, we get into there uh, to the court, and it was this year-and-a-half process that cost us $138,000 in lawyer fees, for, which is great, great system, right? And so we found out we were innocent, but I remember the first day we were in the, uh, the court in downtown Nashville, and it was this older gentleman that was very um, southern and... He looked, uh, he gives that sort of deep drawl, Southern. Now, Your Honor, uh, to the, he said, the plaintiffs have uh, created a company called Shikari. And the, our lawyer goes, it's Shikari, Your Honor. 
what? <laughs> Shikari. That is what I said. Shikari. And, <laughs> and, uh, and about halfway through some of the trial, I, I swear to you, this is what was happening. Our lawyer is giving our case, which is very complex and sophisticated and all these ins and outs. And, and I'm, I, this is not an exaggeration. I see him do this at least three times. Falls asleep. <laughs> now, he ultimately found us not liable and, you know, not whatever, not guilty, whatever the civil term is. And, but this was a long process. But, so I kind of have this negative connotation when I think judge, right? And I think that many of us, when we think to a day that is coming, and gang, I know especially when you're young, you're thinking, ah, this is way off in the future someday. But we're all going to stand before the Lord and be judged. Judged. It won't be Herman Munster, it won't be Judge Judy or even Judge Wapner, but it'll be Jesus Christ, the man, it says here, that was, that was resurrected to prove that it's his gig to judge us. And this is important. I mean, why would I even take a Memorial Day to even talk about something like this? This is kind of a buzzkill, right? But it isn't if you really understand that this has... Well, two reasons. One is, honestly, just for right now, because there are current implications for you to understand this. Implications because when, what does Jesus tell us? Not to judge each other. Because my tendency when I'm judging someone around me is to not find out the truth about them, but what I find wrong with them. And so the implications is when I'm in a judgmental mode in my life, man, I am over there pounding the gavel, accusing someone and considering them guilty and ultimately doing what, I don't know if you're a parent, but if you're a parent, especially of older kids, one of the most annoying things is when, and kids, your parents, they may not say this, but they think this, when you're trying to do their job for them, when the little guy is in trouble and the big sister is barking at him, I mean, I'm having a conversation and saying this and, and someone's shouting from the peanut gallery, that's right, and this and that, I'm like, I don't need your help. I'm in control. I'm the so when I am doing that to my brothers and my sisters in the body of Christ, I'm doing Jesus' job, and he doesn't need my help. I'm not Holy Ghost Junior, right? He doesn't, okay, <laughs> Darren, you tell him. That's right, you tell him, Darren. None of that's happening. Just, at the end of the day, it honestly is a lack of faith on my part, a lack of faith understanding that someday, Jesus, this will all work out. He's got it under control. Equity and fair and justice, all those things are going to happen I don't have to do his job for him. So there are current implications, and obviously there are future ramifications for us to understand the judgment seat of Christ. The ramifications of, if I spend my entire life working on something that he finds to be useless and worthless, I've wasted my life. Standing before him and not being able to give him uh, the, the, the results of my life, the results of my race, because I was, he'd, he'd called me to run a marathon, and I spent my life in a wrestling match. I'm in the wrong game. It's, it, the, the ramifications are huge for us to understand. Now, the great news is, is it's often the case with the Word, is it's a lot simpler than we make it out to be. So if you give me just a few minutes of your time, I want to show you in the Scripture the, the judgment of Christ, what it looks like, what it is going to ultimately feel like, and how we can best be prepared for it. So if you're with me, go to 2 Corinthians 5. Because there are, 2 Corinthians 5.10, there are two phases, two separate judgments that Jesus is going to have. And you get to choose one. 
the first one, which is the next thing, I mean, again, the, the, the camping thing out of California, you think it's kooky, but it disguises the fact that there's actually a judgment coming. And the next thing on the prophetic calendar, the next thing that's going to happen, Second Thessalonians tells us, or First Thessalonians tells us, 4.13, is that, that he's going to appear. And he's going to catch us away. And that we're going to be with him. The dead in Christ will rise. And we will be there in heaven with him for a seven year. What, the only possible thing we could call it on this side of earth is a, is a honeymoon. There will be a marriage feast of the Lamb. And we'll have seven years there with Jesus. You and I that have uh, called on the name of the Lord. Have, have uh, had him change our hearts from the inside out. Just done what he said to do. And that's just to believe on him that we'll be there with him for seven years. And Paul talks about that when he says in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3, he, he kind of digs in a little deeper to help us understand it, but understand this, that seat when we are there during that 7 year period that is not a judicial seat as much as it is a sporting seat he, paul uses a word called bima when he uses that seat the bima seat judgment that throne we would call it a throne but it was a place in the ancient games where the guy at the end or the girl would declare how well you did in the race and so when we stand before this as believers in Christ the bima seat we stand before him with all of our works in front of us, but guess what isn't there? Our sin. Because it says that he threw that into the depths of the sea. That it's so far forgotten in his mind that it's as far as the east is from the west. And I'm so glad about that because if you go to the North Pole, and you know who hasn't, uh, and you stand on the North Pole, any direction I turn is south and vice versa. I'm on the South Pole. I turn any direction and walk. I'm going north. He didn't say that. He said the east is from the west. So that when you go to the east pole, oh wait, there isn't one. If I walk out of here and I start walking east, I will never end up finding west. I will continually for eternity go east. From the east is from the west. Your sins are not going to be there. They're forgotten. He's not looking for what's wrong. He's looking for the truth. And the truth is you, your sin, your debt. It's not that you haven't done anything wrong. It's just that your sin was paid for. Your debt was paid. For those of you that have a mortgage, imagine a, a, a mortgage, so much in America of us right now that are underwater. Imagine your mortgage being completely paid for. It's, it's, that's a drop in the bucket of what he has done for us. I stand before him and my debts are paid. So this isn't about sin. This is about what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. When he tells us in verse 12, he's talking about if you build a foundation on the foundation of Jesus. Remember we talked about the, uh, life with Christ is like what? It's like getting on a plane. It's not like walking into a new room. It's like walking onto a new ride, onto a boat. And anything I'm doing is on the boat. It's through the power of Christ that I'm being carried. And I can run as fast as I want on that plane. And I'm not going to get there any faster than the plane is going to get me there. Or the boat is going to get me there. So on that foundation... We get to do certain things, right? And he says in verse 12, If any man builds on this foundation, talking about Jesus, 
using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw. His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself, this is very important, will be saved, but only as one escaping through flames. You see, my works will be in front of this bima seat, my race, which, by the way, there will be a winner of this race. His name is Jesus. And so it's like a marathon where probably a Kenyan will win, but in this case, it'll be Jesus. And and winning is finishing. The race in most people, when you're running a marathon, is against yourself. It's against your endurance. And so when Paul talks about it as a race, running for a prize, I'm running a race against myself. Because myself doesn't want me to win. Myself wants me to, to watch a lot of television and spend a lot of time on the internet doing things that are, in what he describes here, wood, hay, and stubble. Not things that are, by the way, inherently sinful, but just a waste of time. Paul would talk about in Ephesians 5 about redeeming the time. Redeeming is a financial term, like a Groupon, right, guys? I mean, you get a, you get a Groupon, you get a coupon, you take it in, and you redeem it in exchange for something else. I'm, every minute when I wake up every morning, I have, a, I have times, I have a, a Groupon to turn in in exchange for something else. A coupon of time that I'm redeeming for in exchange for this, for this prize, for this reward that I will get at the cross, or at this, this Bema seat. And here's the thing. Why I think it's important that we understand this is this. Because I think as believers, I know as believers, I've spent an enormous amount of time doing things that I think are valuable that I believe ultimately are wood, hay, and stubble. I, he gives us a clue. I mean, this past week, Maddie uh, had a Spanish test. And it was like a huge Spanish test. She just didn't want to deal with it. She just, ugh. Uh, you know, didn't, but, but if she knew what was on the test ahead of time, even what the test was about, man, it makes it so much easier to unpack and to study in bite-sized pieces. But most teachers, that's not what they're looking for. They give you this big, vast expanse. Jesus makes it really easy. In Matthew 25, he says, did you feed me? Did you clothe me? Did you visit me? The least of these brothers of mine. He just, there's only four or five questions, and he gives them to us. And if we're, that's, I know one thing is valuable to him, and that's that. Because he says, at this time, when I'm standing before this throne, that's what he's going to ask me. Not, did you sit in the front row of church? Not, did you raise your hands at the right time? Again, these, by the way, are not sinful things, and I don't even know that they're bad, good, or indifferent. I'm just saying they're not necessarily things that he values like we think he does. He, he, gives, he gives us the playbook. And so when we built a house for Tita... As a church, we can say, yes, I did that. And I bet my left arm, which I don't necessarily need, that, because you got two of them, right? Anyway, I bet my left arm that you don't, that the things that we forget about, the, the, the acts of kindness that we've done, that we've loved our neighbors as ourselves, the ones that we probably will even forget about will be the ones that are the greatest rewards. And what are those rewards? He calls them crowns. And you're like, great, Darren, I can go to Burger King and get one of those. Not that. A crown is representative of something. Because after that seven-year period of time, we're all coming back to earth. For a thousand years, Jesus is going to come and set up his government. And he's going to rule and reign, it tells us, with us. 
And Jesus says that some will be rulers over five cities and some will be rulers over ten cities. And it's based on our lives this side of heaven. And yeah, there's going to be those of us that are saved just by fire. Everything will be burned off. We're still in heaven. You're like, that's, I'd, look, I'd rather, you, know, you hear that, I'd rather be a pauper in heaven than a king in hell. I don't think that's accurate. Because think with me on this. Think about that statement for a minute. A trillion years into eternity. You can't get that around your head. Even a thousand years older than our country by three times into eternity. What would you rather be doing? Paul actually talks about uh, stars in the sky. I think it's 2 Corinthians 15, first or second, where we're like the stars of the sky. When I look up at night and I see the stars, some are extremely bright and some are extremely dim. They're all stars. And all of them are to their capacity, but they're stars nonetheless. Which do you want to be? Which do you want to spend a trillion years of being? Uh, the best, and it's, he's only asking for 80 years from us on this side, give or take. For a trillion years of that? Sure, you're in heaven. Maybe it's about capacity. You know, this, this uh, goblet, no. Is that what it is? It's not a goblin. Goblet, this glass, is almost, it's full. If I were to fill it full, it could be full. The capacity is full. But if I were to bring in a rain barrel from outside, both could be full, but one has a greater capacity for fullness. How do you want to spend, and this is my best feeble human attempt to try to describe this to you, to make sure you know that, gang, this is important. If you're a young person, if you're a teenager, this is important. You've got your whole life ahead of you. What would you rather spend it doing? What you're valuing for yourself or what Jesus will value? What he will look at you seriously in the eyes and say, awesome work. All these things that you did, every, every episode of The Office that I've ever watched, as hard as I laughed, is wood, hay, and stubble. It's gone. But man, for every Tita, for every neighbor in our neighborhood, for every person in our family that I was kind or loving to, there's gold in that that doesn't burn up. That fire isn't like your house burning down. It's fire like fire in a barbecue pit. Fire in a barbecue pit, that's not scary. That's awesome. Fire in a refiner's fire where it's making a gold ring out of it. This had to be heated in a fire and molded into what it is. That's awesome. You and I aren't going to burn. It's our works that will burn. And what is left of that? Uh, one more metaphor that maybe, that maybe it'll make. I heard a pastor say this, and it made sense to me. He was telling a story about his daughter that loved to bang on pots and pans in the kitchen. And how awesome it was that she'd come in there. But if he were to come in and bang on pots and pans... I mean, you know, I could do that. That's fun, but not like it is for Ethan because it's a different level of capacity. Ethan could spend an eternity being joyous, banging on pots and pans or playing with play guns in the backyard because that's his capacity. But if your capacity is to actually play drums on a Sunday morning, that's a different capacity. Patrick in here this morning, wailing on the drums, that's joy to him because that's his capacity. What are you going to spend your eternity? What capacity will it be in? Man, I hope that we're in a church full of people that are going to rule and reign side by side with Jesus. I don't want to see any of us banging on pots and pans forever. It's cute and it's fun, right? And it's awesome if you're that age and that's your capacity. But that's not what I would... I don't want to spend my eternity that way. I want to go in there and get as much as what the Lord has for me. And it's so simple. It's so easy. It's not even a burden. I mean, to send some people to Joplin to help people, that's not awful. That's awesome. That's not even hard. What's hard is when we get in and we try to get these systems and processes and programs in place and all the political crud that goes on. That's what's hard. Feeding some kids in Haiti, that's easy. Jesus said, my load is light. My burden is easy. 
The minute you feel heavy, the minute you feel like what I'm doing is a burden, you are not carrying the burden that Jesus gave you. Throw it down. Let the anointing break the yoke and take the yoke that Jesus has for you. That's the Bema seat judgment. I've got one more, and then we're going to land this thing. He talks about in Revelation 20, you can write it down and go later, about the great white throne judgment. Oh, wait, how did that get in there? Sorry, it was the wrong slide. Oh, no, not that one. He talked about the great white throne judgment. I mean, you know, man, that, that first one is where we make a lot of the decrees from our home. But, the, but that's not, and I don't mean to make light of this. Hopefully nothing else is to wake you up just for enough time to listen to what I've got to say. Because there is another throne. This is a tale of two thrones, okay? This Bema seat judgment, that's what you want. You want to be in front of Jesus for him not to beat it over you like a game of cosmic whack-a-mole. But for him to lovingly look in your eyes and say, that was awesome. The way that you persevered. The way that you, when no one else believed in you, you did it anyway. Great work. Here is this reward that I have custom created for you. For a place that I have prepared for you. That that knows the way you are intimately wired. And that's you. The other throne is the one when you say, look, I am not accepting what Jesus has done for me on my behalf. I want to be judged on my stuff. Because Jesus would say, if you accept me, if you believe in me, then you don't have to do it on your merit, on your sin. It's on my goodness and my righteousness. I'm not standing before a throne of how bad I was. I'm standing before a throne of how good I did. And I'm telling you, even if, we, even if you mess up the whole, you know, your whole life here doing none of those works, you still get into heaven. It's just in a different capacity. You understand? This one is me saying, appreciate your enthusiasm, Jesus, but I got this figured out. I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. I'm a whole lot nicer than that dude. And I know I'm nicer than she is. And it will be great. Your entire life presented before you, Revelation 20 says. All And can you imagine the horror of your life in a giant movie played at once? Every thought you've thought, everything you've said, every person you've lied to, every time you cheated, every motive that was impure... We have this ability to forget those things. In the same way that we forget some of the good things we've done that I believe we'll be rewarded for, we have a really great way of selective retention disorder. We only remember what we want to remember. We only think of ourselves. None of us look in the mirror and think we're a jerk. But I promise you this, if you were to swing a dead cat at Starbucks, you could find 10 people that think I'm a genius. With the de- dead cat, I'm sorry. But, or, and 10 people that think I'm an idiot. Because the truth is I've done some dumb stuff in my life. Man, I don't want to be before that throne. I don't want to be judged on that basis of how I behaved. Because Jesus is going to say, that's great, open the book. And is your name in the book or is it not? And gang, here's the thing. For those that your name is not in that book, you will be sent away to a place where it says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness forever. And here's the thing, and I want you to understand this. You won't even, you might be bummed, but you're not going to say it was unfair. On this side of heaven, our judges, the reason we can have a Supreme Court that can agree five to four on something is they can look at the exact same piece of information and have a different opinion. Not God. His information is right on and spot on. And it says in Revelation that you, me, and everybody will stand around that throne saying righteous and true 
were your judgments. Paul tells us in Romans 15 that every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Because at that moment, not because he's forcing, like there's some sort of forcing you to your knee, it's going to be an automatic response because he is right. And we will know it. Even those that walk away into outer darkness will know that he was right. And it's going to be so sad because it's so needless. It didn't have to happen. All we had to do was just choose. Choose this day, Joshua tells us, who you will serve. Will you serve darkness? Will you serve light? He says, I set before you life and death. Which do you want? It's really simple. It's not complicated. I just have to believe on him, accept that what he did for me is I can't be good enough to get there and not be like the people in, that, that crucified him said, when I will not have you to lord over me. I won't. I want it on my own way and my own terms. And the best part is that when you take it on his way and his terms, it's awesome. I'm just telling you, as a church, we've only been around a year. This is the best year of our lives. The things that we've seen and done, and if you haven't, go to the conduitmission.org and you can see there's a better way to live. Whether it was Japan sending, you know, $8,000 to Japan to, to buy uh, uh, pallets of supplies or tornadoes or these folks in our own in our own existence together, in our own villages, in our small groups, living life together. i got to tell you, this is a better way to live. And you won't know till you try it. And I encourage you today, as, as musicians come and we wrap up this Memorial Day, I want to encourage you to think about real specifically who, you, who do you choose, who do you serve. You've you got two choices, two thrones, the bema seat of Jesus and love and mercy, of rewards, or you got the great white throne of you tried it your way and this is how it works out. You don't want that. I don't want you to want that. Jesus went through too much for you to want that. And as we sing these songs and get ready to uh, enjoy the rest of this weekend, I'd ask you to just take a couple minutes and examine your life and where's the, the God has you and and if you're not really sure which throne you're going to be going to, come see me. I'm going to be right here. You, you won't interrupt me from anything. It's my honor and my pleasure to talk and pray with you. And for those that know you'll be in front of the Bema seat with the rest of us, we invite you, obviously, if you're not there, to come with us. But those that may already know you're in front of the Bema seat, man, I, I look forward to that day where we all get to share that moment together. Won't that be awesome? Let's worship him. We stand sing with us. Also, at some point during this, someone will take our, our tithes and offerings. And there is communion up here. If you feel like a, that's what you need to do. Jesus, you endured. Jesus, you endured my pain. Savior, you bore all my shame. All because of your love. Maker of the universe. Broken for the sins of the earth. All because of your love All because of your love
because of your cross. Because of your cross, my debt is paid. Because of your blood, my sins are washed away. All of my life, I freely give. Because of your love, because of your